Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. In in the book of Revelation, there is a woman that is pictured there that has a name written on her forehead, and the name is Mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon. Remember, a mystery is something previously hidden, now it's, now it's revealed. And Mystery Babylon, um, Babylon goes, goes back. You know, maybe when we think of Babylon, we think about Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, but really Babylon goes back to the Tower of Babel. Babel becomes, becomes Babylon. And you have there at, at the Tower of Babel um, mankind in rebellion against God. Now God, you know, divided that up. But it's interesting when you look at the various religions of the world and you see how they all tie back to Babylon. They, they tie back to that, sometimes it's called the Babylonian mystery religion. And even, even though even many religions that might use uh, Christian terminology and use the Bible, and yet you look at their practices and they come straight from Babylon. This was something, by the way, I mean, you go back into the 1800s and the average Christian understood these things about, about false religion being Babylon. That, you know, the average Christian understood these things. Um, and that's why there was so much opposition, even among, even among people that weren't even necessarily Christians themselves. They understood that, you know, there were these false religions out there that, that were all connected back to, to, uh, Babylon itself. And today, that, that Babylonian religion, it's in a mystery form. It doesn't, it's not, it's not revealed for what it is. You don't see it for what it is. Okay, it it looks to many people like Christianity or like like biblical things, but it's really something hidden. Now, when you get into that time of revelation, it it begins to reveal itself for what it is. That woman that's portrayed as Mystery Babylon is a religious system on the earth. In fact, let's go let's go over there and just look at the description. Revelation chapter 17 verse 1 says, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns." And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, decked with gold, precious stones, and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman, drunken with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. 
And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath seven heads and ten horns. Now here's a passage that is very obviously figurative. right? In fact, the angel is going to give an interpretation of these things, what the different elements of it mean. It's not, it's not a, you know, a literal woman that's being described here, but it's a, it's a figurative thing. Um, you see in the description of the woman, it calls her the great whore. It says she sitteth upon many waters. And the, the many waters in Scripture often are used as a picture of the nations. Uh, it describes how the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, un, unfaithfulness. This would be spiritual uh, infidelity. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. This woman is sitting upon a beast, and this beast is, is pictured other places in the book of Revelation. The beast is a political system, right? The, the beast is a, a political system that's figured there, personified by the Antichrist himself. Uh, you can see that in the interpretation that the angel begins to give in verse 8. It says, the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall, or shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, five are fallen and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space." You see, you see, the beast itself is associated with kings. It's associated with, with a political system. Uh, it's, it's associated as well with the, the person of the Antichrist. Um, it, it says that the seven heads are seven mountains. And seven you know, mountains in the Bible often represent kingdoms. But also, uh, you know, can you think of what, what's the city that it says it's the city founded upon seven hills? It's the city of Rome itself. Right. This, you know, as we as we saw in that prophecy in Daniel, in that progression of world empires, we saw the progression from Babylon to Medo-Persia to Greece to Rome. And then there's this gap. And when you get to the kingdom of the Antichrist, if you remember in the vision, it had the iron, which was the same as the Rome of the legs. But then it was iron mixed with clay. And it's a it's a in some ways a continuation of that Roman Empire, that Roman system. Uh, it's here the, the beast is associated with seven mountains. It's associated with these these seven kings, and it is sometimes referred to as a revived Roman Empire. Uh, if in many of these prof the progression of these prophetic events, you can treat the the dispensation of grace in which we currently live, you can almost just kind of like like lift it out of the timeline and see how things progress. And so when this dispensation of grace ends, things pick up, pick up where they left off uh, at the end of that, that Roman Empire. Okay. Now it describes the kings here. Uh, let's just read the, the rest of the chapter. Uh, it says, The beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. That's the, the uh, Antichrist himself. That's one of those kings. The ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings, one hour with the beast. 
those ten horns and ten kings appear numerous places in Daniel. When we looked at the, that previous, previous uh, prophecy in Daniel, the ten toes of the, of the feet would be associated with those ten kings. And they are not, they're not completely sovereign kings, but they are kings that are, are uh, subject to the Antichrist himself. They rule with him. It says they receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. You see, the woman there is a city. And again, you, you look at the description, and it's the city of Rome that it's describing there. Um, now, Rome today, you wouldn't look to as a city that rules over all the kings of the earth, not, not in the way that we might think. Um, certainly a great deal of power there in Rome. But uh, the, the woman here, you notice how at the beginning of, of the vision, the woman is riding the beast. Right? When you're riding a beast, you're, you're the one controlling it. You're, you know, the woman is riding the beast there. The, the beast is the political system. The woman is the religious system. But you see how the, the political leaders are going to, in the progression of these events, turn on that religious system and destroy it and essentially take it over. They become, the political system becomes the religious system. And that's where you see the Antichrist, this this political leader, he goes into that temple, he sits down, he says, I am God. And people are going to worship him, and they're going to to acknowledge him as God. Uh, If if we go back to to our text, now all of the things that are leading to that, that mystery of iniquity, there what you see in that passage is you see the, the culmination of the mystery of iniquity where, where that woman then is revealed. By the way, the, the, you can go back on your own and study the individual characteristics of that woman, the, the chalice that she has in her hand, the colors purple and scarlet that are associated with her. She's drunk with the, with the blood of the martyrs. And she's associated with the city of Rome. And, and you can see what, what political system is that? It, there's, there's none other but the church that is associated with Rome. And that church, just as that woman is called the mother of harlots in that passage, that church claims to be the mother church. They claim that all Christian churches really are, are their children. Um, and with, with a lot of churches that would claim to be Christians, it, that's... That's pretty much exactly true, okay? But, but there's really no question about who that woman represents. And so, so um, when Paul says in Thessalonians that that mystery of iniquity is already at work, it's already at work, right? That, so that, that woman that's gonna, going to be made manifest there in the future, it's already at work here today. 
The mystery of iniquity is already working, but it's withheld. There's a withholding taking place against that. Uh, when that withholding is removed, that's when that system is able to come to its, to its fruition. That's when, uh, and that's when this man of sin is able to be revealed and, and you know, come to power and, and wield that power. If we go back to our text in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So verse 6 is where we, or verse 7 is where we left off. It says, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, the word let in that passage, uh, when we use the word let in modern English, we usually mean to allow something, right? If I'm going to let somebody do something, I'm going to allow them to do it. Actually, in the, in the King James English, the word means just the opposite. It doesn't mean to allow something, it means to withhold something. So it's really talking about the same thing as, as verse 6. Verse 6 says, now ye know what withholdeth. All right? So when verse 7 says, he who now letteth, just think in your mind, withhold. All right? He who now letteth, he who now withholds, will withhold until he be taken out of the way. There is something in the world today that is preventing that mystery of iniquity from having free course that is withholding so that the Antichrist could not, could not uh, come to power today even if he wanted to, even if Satan wanted to, because there's something withholding those events from taking place. There's something letting in the, in the King James English, something withholding those things. Uh, it, it says that he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed. Now, in your Bible, you probably have the word wicked with a capital W because it's referring to a person. It's that same man of sin, that son of perdition, that antichrist. Once that withholding is removed, then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Verse 11 says, For this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In this time that it's describing here when, the, when this wicked is revealed, this man of sin, there's going to be not the, not the kind of, of religious division that you see in the world today. Because what this says is that for those who've chosen not to believe the truth, God's going to send them a delusion so that they will believe the lie. Now today there's, there's lots of different lies, right? People who don't receive the truth, they might follow one religion, another religion, no religion at all. But at this time, for those who haven't received the truth, God's going to cause them to believe the lie, which is that the Antichrist is God. Okay? And, and you've heard, the, you've heard the, uh, the saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Well, in this case, if you don't have the truth of God's word, these people at this time, if they don't have the truth of God's word, they are going to fall for the Antichrist. Okay? It says that they'll have that strong delusion, that they'll believe a lie. It says that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
But, but we're still left with the question, what is the thing that's withholding these events from taking place? What is, what is the thing that's taken out of the way? It, in fact, it refers to it as a he. It refers to it in the, in the masculine. He who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. You know, what is it that's withholding these things that is taken out of the way so that the, the events can progress as described here? Uh, some, some would say it's just God himself that's withholding the things. But is God taken out of the way before these things take place? I mean, you have the idea here of something being, being not so much taken out of existence, but you have something, you know, that's, that's uh, first of all, it doesn't take itself out of the way. If it was just God withholding it, he might take himself out of the way. But here you have something that there's an action performed upon, that it is taken out of the way. Uh, some would say it's the Holy Spirit, the, the working of the Holy Spirit that's taken out of the way. And that provides some problems as well. For instance, I mean, when you read the descriptions about that period of time when, when the Antichrist is going to come to power and those things are going to take place, is there no Holy Spirit on the earth? The, the Spirit is on the earth. In fact, the Spirit in, in, you know, is active in some even much more visible ways than the Holy Spirit is active today. Uh, the Holy Spirit is going to be there and active on the earth and, and is not taken out of the way to allow these things to take place. Um, the, what, what, uh, if you were to, maybe, maybe to help in this matter, if you were to try and answer what is it that's withholding, I mean, if you know what's withholding, then you know what's taken out of the way, what has to be taken out of the way. What is it that's withholding the, the plans and purposes of Satan today? What, what is the battle that's taking place? Doesn't Ephesians 6 tell us that we have a part in a spiritual battle by, by wielding the word of God, that, that we fight a battle against principalities and powers and, and uh, the, the spiritual wickedness in high places? Doesn't it say we have a part in that battle? Don't we, as we... Um, proclaim the word of God and, and as we stand for the word of God, doesn't that play a part in withholding what Satan's trying to do in the world? Uh, in fact, that to me is the only, only thing that makes sense, that it's the body of Christ that is described there. The body of Christ, by the way, is in various passages is described in both the, the masculine and the feminine, but the body of Christ is described in Ephesians 2, for instance, as the one new man, so that would fit with it saying, he who now letteth will let, uh, that the body of Christ collectively is referred to as that one new man. And I believe this passage is talking about the body of Christ being taken out of the way and removing that withholding on the earth, which then allows these events to take place. Um, if we go, let's look at, a, a, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, you may know, is all about issues of resurrection, okay? And it talks about Christ's resurrection. It talks about our resurrection. And at the end of the chapter, verse 51, it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now remember, mystery is something previously hidden, now revealed. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, 
For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Now, Paul calls all this a mystery. Now, understand, resurrection itself is not a mystery. The, the oldest book in your Bible, the book of Job, talks about resurrection. Job said that, that though worms would destroy his body, that in his flesh he would see God. That's resurrection, right? Resurrection itself is no mystery. The fact that, that people would be raised to life. That's not a mystery. But Paul's not just talking about resurrection in general here. He's talking about a specific resurrection that is a mystery. Now remember the other things that are a part of that mystery. The body of Christ. Um, this dispensation of grace. And he, he's going to tell about a mystery resurrection. We shall not all sleep, it says. That's talking about physical death. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Now some assume that because there's a trumpet that's mentioned here and there's some trumpets in the book of Revelation. There's a series of seven trumpets in the book of Revelation. uh, Some just try to lump it all together and they say, well, the last trump must be the same thing as the seventh trump or seventh trumpet. Uh, By the way, there is a difference between a trump and a trumpet. The the trumpet is is the instrument. Right? That's a trumpet. The, the trump is the, the sound that the trumpet makes. Okay? And so when it here says at the last trump, uh, it's saying at the last sound of the trumpet. Uh, there's, a, there's a trump here that is, that is ending something. It's the last of something. It brings something to a close, something to an end. And it says that when that trumpet shall sound, that the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And it says we, we shall be changed. Well, wh- what, is the, what is the trumpet there? Go over to 1 Thessalonians. There's a reason why when, when you look at these passages, and again, you look at the details. Realize that any passage of scripture... If you want to just, just take things as very general and, and not look at the specific details, it becomes easy to just sort of lump things together and say it's all the same thing. But when you look at the details, that's where you see the, the, the differences between them. Okay? I mean, there's many similarities between a, uh, you know, a, a Lamborghini and a Ford Focus. There's many similarities. They've got four wheels, right? They've got headlights. They've got windshield. But... You look at the details, and they're very different. Okay, uh, in in First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, it says, verse thirteen. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And that word prevent means to, to come before. Uh, what it's saying is those, there are going to be people that are alive and remain that are, as it's going to describe, they're going to be uh, caught up uh, in the clouds. But those that died first are going are to go first. It says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
Those trumpets over in Revelation, there there's seven trumpets that are given to seven angels, and those angels sound those trumpets, and as each one sounds, there's events that take place. But you see the trump here? It calls it the trump of God. Do you know that the voice of God often is likened to the sound of a trumpet in the Bible? Uh, when, when Israel was at the base of Mount Sinai and Moses went up and was meeting with God and they saw the smoke on the mountain and the, and the thundering, they heard trumpeting. They heard trumpets. That's the voice of God itself. Now, there's a voice of an archangel there, too. Uh, in fact, the, the shout, it says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. The shout, the, the word that's translated as shout there is a word that means a, a military command. So, you know, when you see that, that sergeant, he's barking out those commands, that's the kind of thing there. It's a, it's a shout as in a, a military command that's given. There's a voice of an archangel and there's a trump of God, that trumpeting voice of God itself calling these, these believers. And it says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That, that trump that's going to, to bring about this gathering together is not a, a trumpet handed off to an angel that the angel trumps on, but it's the trump of God himself calling those, those believers together. They're caught up. The, the word rapture, and, and I haven't used the word rapture very much today intentionally because it kind of it clouds some of the issues. The word rapture does not appear in the Bible. All right? But it's one of those words, like the word Trinity, which also does not appear in the Bible, that's used to describe something that is talked about in the Bible. The, the term caught up there, the, the Greek word is harpazo, and it means to yank up. Um, in fact, it, uh, I, I haven't ever verified this, but I've always heard that the word harpoon comes from that word harpazo, the way that... that uh, a fish or, or a whale might be speared with that harpoon and, and is yanked up. Um, that's, that's the kind of idea there. It's, it's not a, I mean, it's almost a, even that, that Greek word harpazo is almost kind of a, 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 a sudden and almost violent action just, just to be pulled up, yanked up. And that's what the word rapture is talking about. The, the difference is the word rapture comes from, from the Latin. In fact, if you, were to, if you and I were speaking Latin today and we were reading a Latin Bible, it would probably translate that word harpazo as raptura, okay, which would be the, the, the Latin equivalent. And so the word rapture means the same thing as to be caught up. In fact, in fact we even use the word rapture in that way. In fact, a lot of the, a lot of the hymns, especially the, uh, the hymn writer Fanny Crosby, she likes to use the word rapture in her hymns. A lot of them have the word rapture there. But she's not talking about this event of being caught up physically, but she's talking about being caught up emotionally. If you say somebody was enraptured, that means they were caught up with emotion. Right? It, it's the same word, just used in a little bit different sense, and it still means to be caught up. Um, but, but this is describing that, that catching up. You know, when you, when you piece these things together, again, the, the text we started with, there's, there's something in the world today that is withholding the plan and purpose of Satan. And it has to be removed before the progression of those prophetic events can continue. And it... The, the only thing that I can find that fits that is the body of Christ. 
And that fits very well, again, with the Apostle Paul talking about resurrection and calling it a mystery. Not the same resurrection that had been described since, since the foundation of the world. Uh, not the same resurrection that's going to take place at the second coming of Christ, but rather a mystery resurrection that applies to the body of Christ, that ends the dispensation of grace and then allows the prophetic events to, to resume on the earth. And we're going we're gonna to close there, and let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the, uh, the hope that we have in Christ, that even if we don't understand all of these future events, we, we can rely on you and we know the hope that we have in Christ, the hope of resurrection, the hope of eternal life. We thank you that you've provided that through the sacrifice of your son and, and uh, that, that uh, we simply receive it by faith, not by our works, not by anything we do. And uh, we look forward to that day, however these events play out, we look forward to that day when we are able to see our Savior face to face. We thank you for all that you've done for us, and and we pray in his name. Amen. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace. Thank you.